Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Hey, everybody. Today, we give you the halftime report. Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. And I have three very concrete ideas of how Donald Trump can defeat Joe Biden of what he can do, not on a policy side, but on a campaign side. And I reveal the greatest underutilized asset for the Trump presidency in American political history. You're going to be surprised. Maybe you'll be surprised. Maybe not. Comes up later in the show. Email me your thoughts, freedom at charliekirk.com. Get involved with Turning Point USA on over 2,000 high school and college campuses across the country tpusa.com. Type in Charlie Kirk Show to your podcast provider, Charlie Kirk Show. Hit that subscribe button. Make sure you're subscribed. We're doing two episodes a day. Give us those five-star reviews. And finally, if you want to win a signed copy of the MAGA Doctrine, do exactly that. Subscribe, five-star review, screenshot it, and email us at freedom at charliekirk.com. Freedom at charliekirk.com. Big episode in store, Biden, Trump. It's the halftime report. Here we Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk is on the college campus. I want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. Legacy Box is a super simple mail-in service to have all your videotapes, camcorder tapes, Film reels and pictures digitally preserved on a thumb drive, DVD, or cloud. I love Legacy Box. All my family's archives, my ancestors that fought in the Civil War and that fought in the Revolutionary War, now I have all their pictures on Legacy Box. Are your family's memories trapped on an old camcorder tape or film reels? Was your favorite childhood memory caught on film or videotape and maybe it disappeared and you're regretful for that? Well, do something about it by going to Legacy Box. It's LegacyBox.com slash Charlie and get 40% off your first order. You just mail it in, they catalog it, send all the originals back to you, and a digital file. Do you need to rescue your recorded memories but haven't had any time to know where to start? Do you want these irreplaceable moments forever? Have them digitally preserved so they stand the test of time and can be passed down for generations to come. Get back perfectly preserved digital copies on a thumb drive. It's LegacyBox.com slash Charlie. Buy today to take advantage of this exclusive offer. Send in when you're ready. Legacy box.com slash charlie save 40 percent while supplies last it is about halftime in the 2020 race so you just sports analogy let's give the halftime report an honest analysis of how the joe biden campaign and the donald trump campaign is trending now understand we really don't have a presidential campaign uh for lack of a better term we kind of have a presidential referendum on president trump we're going to dive into that and so much more and look it's important to realize that the 2020 race is not even in its final phase but i think it'll be kind of helpful to take that kind of halftime report we're right before the convention 
For all intents and purposes, the convention is the most important part of the kickoff of a campaign. You kind of have this long, drawn-out summer where candidates go back and forth. But even that is not happening because Joe Biden is deciding he doesn't want to campaign at all. And he's actually winning in a lot of different polls because of it. I have doubts about some of those polls, but I think it's fair to say that Joe Biden is definitely able to benefit from the lockdowns and the virus and the race riots because he's not in power. It is kind of a referendum on how awful America is, not necessarily a referendum on President Trump. So here's how to assess the race and what each candidate ought to do going forward. We're going to go through Joe Biden, what he's doing right, what he's not doing right, uh, some vulnerabilities for Joe Biden. We're going to go through Donald Trump, what he's doing right, and some things that he's not doing correct so far, his campaign, that is. This race was always going to be difficult for President Trump. We knew that in 2020 that they were going to throw out everything they possibly could, different accusations, big revealing books, the John Bolton book, the president's niece. We knew all this sort of stuff was going to come to a point of intersection. That is before the Chinese flu or the Chinese coronavirus or the China flu and the killing of George Floyd, Um, FNF, if you will, the flu and Floyd. So we'll just kind of call them the virus and the race riots, for lack of better terms. We knew that President Trump had no chance, basically, of winning the popular vote. He didn't win it in 2016. He is probably more hated in states like California and in New York than he even was in 2016. And you look at those states like California, New York, and Illinois, they are more committed to defeating him in 2020 than they were in 2016. Now, if you do not have the popularity to win the popular vote, then you have no margin for error in certain specific states. You have to thread the needle. You have to thread the needle in Michigan, Florida, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Arizona, and Iowa, or some combination of those states. We'll go through the different combinations it's going to take for President Trump to win in 2016. Now, mind you, it's possible for the president to win the presidency again without winning Michigan, It is harder and harder to win the White House without winning Florida, and we'll kind of go through those combinations. Now, mind you, polls in January are not votes in November, but going back to January, the president was nearly tied or barely behind Joe Biden in those states. Now, polls have President Trump down eight, if not 14 points. I don't believe those polls, but I believe they're about half right, so I think President Trump is down a couple points in the key states. Now, look, a significant number of people in those close swing states wasted their vote in 2016 by voting for a third-party candidate. This is a very important point that a lot of Democrats, a lot of left-wing socialists, they voted for Jill Stein or they didn't vote at all or they voted for a third-party candidate, which in some ways created the space for President Trump to win the White House, especially in states like Wisconsin and Michigan. If you tally the third-party votes in Wisconsin plus the amount that Donald Trump won by, which is about 8,000 votes, If you add them together, if all of them voted for Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton would have won the state. Now, probably all of them won't do that again, but a third party voting individual will probably be less likely to vote for Donald Trump in 2020 than they did in 2016 because they're going to want to try to get rid of what they consider to be the biggest threat to America and the biggest threat to liberty and freedom and all the nonsense that the left propagates every single day. Now, you look at the two things, the virus and the race riots and the lockdowns because of the virus, they've done two very important things as it relates to the candidates. For President Trump, it's done the following. It has allowed the press and his enemies to promote every negative personal narrative about him and his presidency that they've been pushing since the very beginning. The lockdowns and the race riots have opened up storytelling lines saying that he's incompetent, he's corrupt, he's racist, inexperienced pettiness, all of the things that they have been throwing at him for the last couple of years, all of a sudden are sticking more 
because of the pain that America is feeling. You could not have designed a better political climate for Joe Biden. I mean, if you were trying to design the perfect political ecosystem for someone who can't actually campaign because of mental decline, if you are trying to design a political, let's say, state of affairs for someone that is unable to give a speech, this lockdown culture that we are living through right now is perfect for Joe Biden. You see, the George Floyd race riots coupled with the lockdowns have allowed him to basically shelter in place to be in the candidate equivalent of the witness protection program. Every single day that the focus has remained on how racist America is or the Chinese coronavirus is a day where the media has allowed Biden to self-isolate. Now, before looking at both of the candidates, there's a key fundamental difference to remember about the voters for each of these candidates. There are, of course, exceptions to this general statement, so I want to be very careful before I say this. But we live under a bell curve, and the bell curve might be a little bit, let's say, dramatic, like something out of Salvador Dali painting, but a bell curve nonetheless. But here's the truth. The majority of voters for Joe Biden are driven more by a fear and hatred of Donald Trump than a love for Biden. And some polling reflects that that we're going to get into later in the article. While most of the president's voters are driven more by a love for him and not the hatred of Joe Biden. Now, the above contention makes Biden's choice for vice president much more important than typically it usually is. It's already important for many reasons, some of which is Biden's imminent cognitive decline makes it seem that the vice president is likely to one day soon become the president. Now, Joe Biden is pretending to be something that he's not. Joe Biden is using the old phrase, the ends justify the means. Basically, I'm going to lie myself to the top. I'm going to pretend I am a moderate, even though that Joe Biden is a radical. Even though Joe Biden is pandering to the most radical interests, the most radical elements of the Democrat Marxist base, the media is conveniently covering for him because the media alongside Joe Biden, they believe that no matter what it takes to assume power, that is what you should do. In some sense, it's actually really Machiavellian. And now I've used that term before, Machiavellian. What does that actually mean? Well, let's actually talk about a partner that we here have here on the Charlie Kirk Show. It's called Thinker, T-H-I-N-K-R. A lot of you email me and you say, Charlie, how are you able to read all these books? How are you able to get all these ideas internalized and then revert them back onto your podcast? Well, I do read a lot of these books and some of them I just go to very well done summaries. And that's what thinker.org does. So thinker.org, again, it's T-H-I-N-K-R. We're going to have it in the show description so you make sure you get the spelling correctly. But T-H-I-N-K-R.org slash Charlie, if you want to be able to access it, they're able to summarize certain books. And so one of which is a book I'm very familiar with, The Prince by Niccolo Machiavelli. Now, you've probably heard that phrase before, Machiavellian. Well, it literally is actually named after a person. So Machiavelli wrote two books that he was very famous for. The most, the book he was most famous for was called The Prince. It was written in the late 15th century. And essentially, this was during a time of a lot of turmoil in Italy. Italy had a ruling class that was continually in upheaval. Niccolo Machiavelli, he theorized in a book called The Prince, what is it that actually makes a good leader? Now, there are two huge takeaways from this book that you probably have used when describing politics before. You just might not know they're from the book The Prince by Machiavelli. 
And some of it is very applicable to Joe Biden. So here's some of the key insights from the book. Number one is that the prince, and he, he puts forward this theoretical idea of what does a good ruler mean? And he actually uses Christian ethics. So this is a Christian ethic book intersected with politics. And he says, what does a good ruler embody? And that person he calls the prince. So he says, a, the prince cannot be all virtue and no vice. He must learn to use necessary vices strategically. So he makes the argument that even a good ruler must use the sword, must be unafraid to spill blood every once in a while. He says that princes who appear liberal will appear mean. Now, not liberal in the way that we know it, but meaning open-minded. Those who are mean will be remembered as liberal or as open-minded. And it's kind of a counterintuitive truth. Machiavelli also argued in The Prince that it's better to be both loved and feared. But if you must choose, being feared is more effective. So you've probably heard that thought exercise by maybe a teacher or a parent or a politician. Would you rather be loved or feared? Well, that comes from this book. That struggle of love versus fear in leadership comes from The Prince, one of the most important philosophical and political books of our time. And Machiavelli argues that it's better to be feared than loved. Both are nice, but if you're nothing but loved, you will not be respected. It's the most vital of all, though, to not be hated. So he kind of creates that third category. And so he even call, he creates this new term called criminal virtue, that a leader must be wise, strategic, brave, but also be ruthless. That if you are not ruthless alongside being wise, strategic, and brave, you'll be feckless and you will lose power. He actually glamorized the political process, so much so that the Catholic Church banned this book for 200 years in Italy until the 1700s when it was allowed to be read again. It was actually considered to be heretical or be a piece of heresy. Machiavelli argued that you can't be good for all things. And the thing that he was most famous for out of all of it is that the ends justify the means, that you can lie yourself to the top, that if you are lying in the pursuit of something that is considered to be good, then therefore what you are doing is good. Now, it's very hard to justify the Christian ethic under that kind of decision-making matrix. We have seen that using sin as a reason to justify something virtuous down the road is incredibly dangerous. It's pernicious by default and by definition. But this is what Machiavelli argues. And again, this is all made possible in a lot of different ways. Uh, thinker.org, T-H-I-N-K-R.org slash Charlie. They have some other great books, uh, Liberal Fascism, Right Side of History by Ben Shapiro, Why Nations Fall. So I encourage you guys to do it because if you want to explore really big ideas quickly and be able to connect to a lot of the philosophers that we talk about here on The Charlie Kirk Show in eight minutes. They have an audio version as well. You'll be able to get the big picture arguments of the prince. Now, it's not a replacement of the actual book. I still encourage you going into uh, these sorts of thoughts and these ideas. But for those of you in school that have to read these books quickly and maybe you're sidetracked because you have a job or you have some other things going on or maybe it doesn't interest you that much, thinker.org is the place to go to explore big ideas. And that's exactly what Joe Biden is thinking right now. It's for Joe Biden, he believes the ends justify the means. I'm going to pretend to be a moderate. I'm going to lie to be someone that I am not so that I can attain power because he thinks he's going to do good once he's in power, which of course he isn't doing good. So here's what Biden needs to do understanding that he, of course, is employing Machiavellian tactics. He needs to basically become – he needs to become the best operator in a bunker in American history. 
if he is able to hide successfully from now till Election Day and the media will cover for him and Donald Trump is not able to flush him out, then he's going to get elected as president of the United States. Only people deeply preoccupied with politics understand Biden's cognitive issues. Seriously, I've talked to many Democrats. I've talked about it before in this program that have no understanding at all that Joe Biden is actually in steep mental and cognitive decline. The press is not going to go after it. In fact, they're dismissing it whenever it is brought up. There's a there's a really, really smart article that is written. I read a lot of things on the left as much as I can tolerate it as I can. I read a couple hours a day, and I encourage all of you to do that as well, which is why I am promoting thinker, thinker.org slash Charlie, which is reading is really important and making notes. And there's an article here, which you're going to find perplexing that I'm citing it. It's from Vox.com, which is, most of what Vox publishes very well could have passed as meaningful propaganda from the Stalinist Politburo. I mean, it's incredibly disastrous to a free society. But this article was really insightful, and I, I've read it a couple times, and it's really fair. It just is. And it says how Biden is winning. And so I was curious, and it was written by Ezra Klein, who has an incredibly high IQ, but very little patriotism. Awful mixture. You know, high IQ and resentment for the country is not a good combination for the betterment of a free society. But I've always considered Ezra to be really smart. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Ezra got really good test scores and has a high IQ. And someone told him to hate America early on, and he's never been able to shake that idea. But he wrote this article of how Biden is winning. And there's a lot of it I'm going to quote from. I'm going to read one of them, and I agree with it. After the 2016 election, panicked, wounded Democrats settled on a diagnosis. Trump, for all his mania, bigotry, and chaos, had given angry Americans something to vote for. To stop him, Democrats would need to match force with counterforce, polarization with mobilization. They would need to show as much anger, as much populism, as much wrecking ball energy as he did. Biden is running, and for now winning, by defying that diagnosis. That's really well put by Ezra. I have to say, a lot of the burn it all down energy by the Democrats, Biden is going out of his way to not embrace. And there's another part of this that I'm going to talk about. But a lot of Biden's statements is we should tear down some statues. Now, he has some slips where he ends up showing his radicalism and his complete and total racism. When Joe Biden says that you're not a black person if you don't vote for him. I mean, that would be something that a slave owner in the antebellum South would say. But for the most part, Joe Biden is running a very careful, moderate campaign. Now, there's a lot of there's a lot of, let's say, vulnerabilities in running a campaign like that. A lot of vulnerabilities and a lot of there's a lot of chance there and a lot of risk. And it's not all in Biden's favor, but it's definitely the safe way to run a campaign. So I want to play for you an ad that Joe Biden is running on Fox News. It's a really good ad. I have Fox running all throughout the day, and I, I've seen this ad a couple times, and I, pl- I turn it on, and the visuals are pretty good. I obviously can't show you the visuals here, but the audio, it shows about uniting America and bringing America together. I can tell you from my dealings and my experience with a lot of suburban voters, this message is resonating with them. Play tape. I know so many Americans are suffering, suffering loss of a loved one, suffering economic hardship. The country is crying out for leadership, leadership that can unite us, leadership that brings us together. That's what the presidency is, the duty to care, to care for all of us, not just those who vote for us, but all of us. But I promise you this, I won't traffic in fear and division. I won't fan the flames of hate. I'll seek to heal the racial wounds that have long plagued our country, not use them for political gain. I'll do my job and I will take responsibility. I won't blame others. 
You know, I've said from the outset of this election that we're in the battle for the soul of this nation. What we believe, maybe most importantly, who we want to be, it's all at stake. We stand together, finally as one America, we'll rise stronger than we were before. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. So, so Joe Biden is strategically looking at the Donald Trump movement, not as a coalition, but as different parts that he can peel away. And Ezra also puts this in the article that Joe Biden thinks he can splinter away certain parts of the Trump movement. And the data shows that he's exactly right. Ezra also says this. Joe Biden is not widely loved. He's significantly less loathed than Trump, however. Political scientist Michael Tesler notes, you can even see the gap even among the two candidate supporters. This is super interesting. 80% of Biden supporters have a very unfavorable view of Trump, while only 53% of Trump supporters have a very unfavorable view of Biden. So basically, the energy behind Biden, if you meet a Biden supporter, 80% of people that say they're voting for Joe Biden do not like Donald Trump. 53% of people that are supporting Trump say that they don't like Joe Biden. That means that 47% of Trump supporters, they don't mind Biden. They don't consider him to be a threat. Unfortunately, a lot of the Trump energy in 2016 was anti-Hillary Clinton energy. Ezra continued by saying this, the low enthusiasm, however, for Biden is at least partly a choice the Biden campaign has made. Super well put by Ezra Klein, the high IQ Marxist from Vox, where the Biden campaign is actually making a conscious decision to get away from Democrat-based politics of Cortez, Ilan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Ayanna Presley. He finishes the, sent- the, the paragraph by saying, and perhaps they have made the right one. I at least like the humility in Ezra's writing actually there right now. Perhaps he doesn't say, of course, they've made the right one. I think that he's actually opening the door that this might not work for Joe Biden. I agree with that. And here's an example is that there were no Biden signs at all in the BLM protests and riots. We've talked about that at length here multiple times in the Charlie Kirk show. We were the first program to mention this, that there, you, would imagine, you would think that if there was a movement to try to effectuate social change in a country and how racist you are, You would think that they would connect that very movement with the election that's 150 days away with all those cardboard signs that you are making. You would think they would take one of those cardboard signs and say, let's go vote for Joe or Joe Biden for president or now it's time to rise up for Biden. If it was Bernie Sanders on the ballot, every single one of those people on the streets supporting BLM Inc. and the arson, they would take out signs that would say Bernie Sanders today, Bernie Sanders forever or Chairman Sanders for president in eternity or whatever type of Marxist rallying cry would get them excited. This is also why vote by mail is a really big deal. It takes enthusiasm to get in the car and go to the polls. And data shows this to walk through rain or to snow or to walk, you know, wait in line to get off the couch. Vote by mail takes far less effort. And in Oregon, we have seen an entire state that does vote by mail nearly 76% of the registered electorate ends up voting, which ends up going to show that more Democrats are able to ballot harvest and enthusiasm means next to nothing in the state of Oregon. Instead, it means who can promise the people the most amount of stuff and then who can collect the ballots better and arguably and fraudulently fill them in for certain people. Now, there are a significant number of people planning to vote for Biden who literally have no idea that there is anything wrong with him. I want to say that again. 
there's a significant number of people who plan to vote for Joe Biden that have no idea that he's in mental decline because the activist media has not covered it at all. The longer it goes before that those people are finally aware, the less time there is for them to want to change their mind. And also, the less options there are for changing it. Now, look, he's not risking exposing that reality of cognitive decline to America. That's why, while Trump is doing hour-long interviews with Chris Wallace, Joe Biden is announcing that he will do long-form interviews that are heavily edited with Barack Obama. This makes the choice for vice president the most critical selection for vice president since John Fitzgerald Kennedy in 1960. And I'd say the second would be Barack Obama's vice president selection in 2008. That was a very important vice presidential selection because the country was not as culturally leftist in 2008 as it is today. There was no BLM. There was no Me Too. There was no gun grabbing movement. The left was nowhere near as powerful in 2008 as they are today. George Soros was not throwing money around like he is now, where he's throwing around a billion dollars a year to help destroy our country. And so a lot of people thought of Barack Obama as an insurgent radical liberal who hated America. So who did he pick? He picked someone who was a familiar, described moderate, Joe Biden in 2008. So it's kind of very interesting how Joe Biden was part of a very consequential vice presidential selection in 2008. And if you read the book by David Plouffe, Audacity to Win, I encourage you to read it. They really poured over what kind of a vice president they wanted for Barack Obama, and they concluded someone who at least comes across as a moderate would be very appealing. His vice president has to be someone that can look and feel presidential, not just in theory, but actually be presidential. Any undecided or unmotivated voters are going to come to know that Biden is not going to be able to govern in full capacity. Therefore, the vice presidential choice can tip them by making them feel like they're really voting for the vice president, not for Joe Biden. Now, with that being said, and pointing to the key motivator for Biden voters, Joe Biden needs to make a vice presidential selection that people will love. Since a typical Biden voter is going to be voting against the president of the United States, he can pick up more voters by giving them a vice president they want to vote for. Now, there are two major motivators for voting, loving one candidate or really hating the other. Biden has a chance to get some from both of those categories. I'm going to say this again. 80% of Biden supporters have an unfavorable view of Trump, while only 53% of current Trump supporters have an unfavorable view of Biden. Now, with Mike Pence as a very neutral uh, selection for vice president, President Trump can't pick up much from Mike Pence. I love Mike Pence. Mike Pence is a friend of mine, but he's a very steady pick. He's not going to get you a 10-point increase. He's not going to get you a 10-point decline. He's very disciplined. He's incredibly loyal. And he is the answer to a lot of the lack of, quote, steadiness in the White House. I actually think that the more we use Vice President Mike Pence on interviews, the more we use Vice President Mike Pence in advertisements, the better. There's also a huge, massive, unutilized asset for Donald Trump that you guys are going to hear about later in the show. Donald Trump has a massive weapon that, for whatever reason, is not being used, not being utilized. Whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, you want to know what you're listening to, to be what you're actually listening to, not what your roommates, your neighbors, or someone making trouble around you 
is listening to. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. But before you go dropping hundreds of thousands of dollars on a pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. You already know Raycon earbuds start about half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market and that they are sound just as amazing as the other top audio brands that you know. Their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are the best ones yet with six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, more compact design that gives you nice noise-isolating fit. Raycon's wireless earbuds are so comfortable, perfect for conference calls and binging on podcasts. Unlike some other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet with no dangling wires or stems to distract anyone during video calls. You've heard me talk about how the company was co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Cardi B, and so many more. They're all obsessed with Raycon, so pick up a pair and see what the hype is all about. Go right now to buyraycon.com slash Kirk. Get 15% off your order. Buyraycon.com slash Kirk. 15% off your order. Buyraycon.com slash Kirk. And I just want to take the second of pause to thank those of you that are supporting our program at charliekirk.com slash support. charliekirk.com slash support. If you are a monthly supporter, we do a monthly Zoom call with our monthly supporters. It helps protect us and our show up against any sort of backlash and any sort of retaliation from the leftist boycott community, charliekirk.com slash support. Now, understand, it's really hard to attack Biden with someone as aggressive as Trump. And I think the risk for Joe Biden is picking a vice president that is too radical. To basically, he has to really thread the needle carefully here, Joe Biden does. He has to make sure not to pick a moderate to stunt turnout of his radical base. And he has to make sure he doesn't pick someone too radical to be able to blunt the support amongst more moderate voters. That's why I think that people like Susan Rice or Val Demings are in the running to become the vice presidential choice. Now, with the importance of the vice presidential selection and given his prior statements about promising a woman minority candidate, It becomes very clear that Joe Biden and his candidacy all hinges on his selection for VP. Now, just so you understand, if Joe Biden selected Michelle Obama to be his running mate, I hate to say game over, but it's pretty close. Just as a realistic, incredibly loyal Trump supporter who has defended Trump at every single turn, and I will continue to because he's done such a service to our country and I consider him a friend, it will be hard for Donald Trump to win up against a Biden-Michelle Obama duo. Do not dismiss that. It's very realistic. She would check all the boxes. She would bring the love vote to his side and appeal to all the people in the country who call themselves independent, who are really, honestly, political simpletons driven by feelings and optics. You want to take the next three months off, Joe, and just kind of watch Hulu and Netflix? Sign up Michelle Obama to be your vice president. If that happens, move to South Dakota. That's all I can say. If Michelle Obama becomes the VP, I'm not saying Donald Trump has no choice and we will fight as if we've never fought before, but it will make it incredibly more difficult. Here's what Biden needs to do, though, at the convention. Here's the statement that he needs to do. He needs to say this. My fellow Americans, I know that I'm not my prime. I know that concerns have been raised about my overall health. I assure you that I'm fit and ready to govern. That said, I'm here tonight to pledge to you that if I am elected, I will only serve one term. Our country is so greatly divided that it needs someone with experience and stability to help it heal and bring people back together. And I am that man. I can do that job and will do that job. I will turn over a new and vibrant America to my successor. If I was designing the downfall of Donald Trump, that speech alone, saying he'll only serve one term, 
kind of dismisses the mental cognitive decline issue, which is a huge issue for Donald Trump. It also makes the focus on the vice presidential nominee and whether or not Joe Biden serving one term or two terms. I mean, we know the Democrats are liars, so he could always reverse it in the future. I mean, Barack Obama reversed his position on gay marriage and was given a complete pass by the media for it. A lot of people would then just vote on a healing of America less than for Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. Now, beyond this, Joe Biden really needs to make sure that the campaign season is as short as possible. And the press, of course, will cover for him for that. And that his interactions with people are as spontaneous as minimal. No photo lines, no Joe the Plumber moments, no Michael Dukakis in a tank moment. Shelter in place, do not campaign, no risk at all. And you can be certain that he gets more confused as the day wears on. The more Joe Biden, the more money Joe Biden raises, the more staffers he'll have around him and the more protected he will be. So here's what Donald Trump needs to do. I want to make it very clear. We must get Donald Trump reelected. It is so important for the future of our republic, our country and everything we care about. Our First Amendment freedoms, our Second Amendment freedoms, our history, the country our children are going to be raised in. I think it's very fair to say that the president and his political popularity has declined since the race riots and the lockdowns and the virus was put in place. Increasingly, in some ways, and a lot of people are saying this, and I'm just a neutral observer on this point, some people are saying that he is being overhandled by political professionals. And I know some of these people, but I think the more we allow Donald Trump to be Donald Trump with his instincts, the better the campaign will go. I think first, first and foremost, here's what President Trump has to do. He needs to make his base and those around him in the ideological circle he represents fight for him again. I think he actually needs confrontation, healthy confrontation with the other side. Everything about the other side's behavior over the last four years has been confrontational. I think one of the best moments of the Trump presidency is when he brought Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi into the Oval Office, brought the cameras in and called them out on their nonsense on immigration. Trump's numbers went up after that. They did. So this means that as a first move, Donald Trump has to abandon the current embracing of DACA and the foreign worker student visa issue. I'm a massive Donald Trump supporter, and I disagree with him completely on trying to do some sort of DACA deal before November. I just don't support it. Donald Trump is playing to a myth that Hispanic voters will somehow flock to him over this. They absolutely won't. A significant number of Hispanic voters who are actually legal citizens do not support the preferential treatment for illegals. What ends up happening, though, is that the Democrats overpromise and they're able to do the free stuff Olympics a lot better than Donald Trump. What a lot of Hispanic voters do want, unfortunately, and the polling reflects this, is they want more government programs. They are, however, socially conservative. You can win on the issues of life and marriage and religious freedom. Donald Trump's base takes a DACA deal as a major betrayal. Donald Trump needs to give confidence to his base that he is not going to betray them on the issue of immigration. It's that simple. So beyond that specific point, the president should approach America with his convention speech by giving us a list of the 2016 promises and breaking it into three separate categories. What I've done, what I will do between now and January by executive order, and what I will do over the next four years. And so those are the three categories. What I've done, what I will do while I'm still president, like what I'm doing right now, what I'm doing as I'm president, and what I will do over the next four years. That The campaign needs that message. We have 
the podcast we did, Think Big, How to Save America, five big ideas to make America dream again, make America self-sufficient, make our kids love America again. I think Donald Trump needs to get back to his Mount Rushmore speech and the State of the Union speech. State of the Union speech is one of the best speeches that he gave. And we forgot about it, obviously, because of the China flu and the lockdowns and the race riots. And that would be a way to wake up people and give them something real to focus on. President Trump needs to step up to the podium and give a speech telling the American people the truth about the China flu and encourage them to fight back against state restrictions. In a lot of different ways, we can learn from Andrew Cuomo. I think Andrew Cuomo's entire delivery, the way that it was done, how it was televised, him sitting down, not standing, I actually think aesthetically was much more approachable. I think the idea of a standing press conference, it just feels too authoritative. It feels too dictatorial. What made Andrew Cuomo's press conferences so popular, despite the fact that Andrew Cuomo made a bad decision at every single term, of course, the media covered for him, is that he was sitting down. He was almost leveling with the listener, right? Think about it. If you're watching television, are you sitting down or are you standing watching television? You're probably sitting. So if you're watching a leader try to tell you bad news, you always want to be sitting. It's something that you don't always think about, but this is why FDR's fireside chats are so popular. That's why an address from the Oval Office, the president is sitting delivering that address, not standing. Typically, when a president is giving bad news, you always want to be sitting when you are giving bad news, always, because you feel as if you're looking eye to eye with the listener. And look, I'm a, I'm a big student of basically how things are translated on television. Um, and it's basically the television matrix is something a lot of Republicans do not understand, but the Democrats do. You know why? Well, it's because Andrew Cuomo goes, picks up the phone and calls Matt Damon. And he calls George Clooney. And they would have called Harvey Weinstein before he got arrested for rape. But a lot of these guys deal in the cinematic arts. And they probably gave Andrew Cuomo the advice do not stand up and give your press briefings. Sit down and level with the listener. Super effective. Incredibly effective. Give very broad hand gestures. Do you, know, do you notice that Andrew Cuomo and his very popular press briefings, despite the fact that Andrew Cuomo is a very immoral, incredibly disastrous governor? I'm not defending him. I'm just saying that from a cinematic pre- pre- presentation standpoint, they're incredibly effective. He would do these very big hand gestures, almost try to to make it seem as if he's being magnanimous, right? That is, if he's trying to level with us, that we're all going to get through this together. I believe in the New York spirit. Very effective. And, for example, when you give good news, you stand like Barack Obama did when he announced that Osama bin Laden was killed. He got great advice from some Hollywood sycophant that said, make sure you stand because you can declare victory. When you're in a struggle and the people watching you are in the struggle and they're sitting on their couch, you shouldn't be standing as if you're celebrating something. It's, it just feels too confrontational. With that being said, when the president does his briefings, he should be sitting. He should be sitting in front of a couple PowerPoints, and he's, he needs to do the same sort of gestures that Cuomo did and needs to be more approachable. My own two cents on that. So when he does these kind of briefings, which he should do, he needs to be very honest. And the message on the virus should be this. A virus cannot be contained by governmental action. We've done a lot and we will do more. Politicians on both parties are being unfairly judged on a viral infection. I am going to protect first principles and freedom. I actually believe that our citizens are incredibly responsible. Because of that, 
I'm going to tell you that you might die if you're old and you get this virus. If you're young and you get this virus, you will probably not die. I trust you to make the right decision. The same way I trust you to make the right decision of whether or not you are going to drive like a lunatic on the highway. The same way that I trust you to make the right decision when you have a semi-automatic rifle that you might use for something completely unspeakably immoral and evil. The same way I trust you to be able to have a beer or the same way I trust you to be able to make decisions that other people might not make. So now that you have the facts and we'll keep on giving you the facts, act responsibly. We're a nation of mature adults that look after our children. That should be the message. In fact, I think that message is a 50, 60, 70 percent popular message. And so I think the more that we communicate that, the better. President Trump needs to warn the people what the state and local officials are doing to them will only get worse if Joe Biden is elected. And he should encourage the opening of America from a national level. President Trump should not step back and think that local unrest will translate into votes for him without placing himself as the face of rebellion. Every single local election, including Mike Garcia's successful race in California, has been a referendum on the lockdowns in the favor of freedom. The more the president acts and the more he's able to show what he's doing, not just tell what he's doing, the better. This is the other point. I think President Trump, I have some other very kind of more funny suggestions and more real suggestions. There are three concrete things, one that's a little bit lighthearted, one that is just a obvious suggestion, and the third that is the greatest underutilized asset of the Trump movement, the Trump White House, the Trump campaign, and of the United States of America. The first suggestion is President Trump needs to do as many interviews as possible with lighthearted, fair media that Joe Biden would not be able to survive. Donald Trump should do a three-hour sit-down with Joe Rogan. It would be very combative at times. Joe is open-minded. It's the number one podcast on the planet. But it would also, throughout the podcast, every 30 minutes, Donald Trump needs to say, and guess what? Joe Biden can't do this interview. That sort of contrast would communicate to an open-minded audience that otherwise would have voted for Biden, the American people will tolerate a lot. They will not tolerate a candidate that refuses to go on certain media circuits while the other candidate does. The American people do not have that kind of patience for that. That's number one. The second thing is this. It's a little bit funny. It's lighthearted. And you guys might think I'm incredibly silly by suggesting it. And I want you to email me your thoughts at freedomatcharliekirk.com on this. President Trump needs a dog. President Trump is the first president since William Howard Taft to not have a dog. Dogs are more popular than human beings in most parts of the country. Some people care more about their dogs than they do about their adult children. If you think I'm kidding, look at some of the polling. Americans give more money at times in certain counties across the country to dog shelters than to homeless shelters. Dogs communicate deeply to a part of the human soul that is even hard to articulate. I love my dogs more than I can put into words. So Donald Trump is the first president since William Howard Taft in over 100 years not to have a dog. It can't hurt. Let's put it that way. In fact, I think he should get a rescue dog. I think the dog should be named Hillary. So I think he should bring Hillary into the White House. And I think he could do a series of very funny, lighthearted vignettes with Hillary the rescue dog next to him and say, Hillary, looks like you did make it to the White House after all. Even better vignette. He could turn to Hillary the dog and say, Hillary, you're the only one in D.C. that actually likes me. Everyone else is trying to get rid of me. 
this sort of lightheartedness is actually a connection to the bigger point of why Donald Trump needs a dog. It's kind of a silly suggestion, but it's a very real suggestion, is that the more Donald Trump can be framed as the comedic human being that is unafraid to be self-deprecating with his witty sense of humor, the more his popularity will go up. I want to I want to see Donald Trump, the human being, not Donald Trump, the politician automaton. And Joe Biden can't play on that terrain. Joe Biden can't have the lighthearted moment with the dog. Joe Biden would have the dog and he would start doing something inappropriate to the dog and you'd have to censor it and you'd have to end the filming and say, Joe Biden, that is not a young teenage child. Stop it. Joe Biden, stop licking the dog. Joe Biden, that is not a 14-year-old. Stop. It would create a perfect juxtaposition to both. This goes to my third recommendation, which is a very real and serious recommendation. The greatest underutilized asset in American political history. Want to guess what it is? Pause this podcast and just think, what is the greatest underutilized asset in the White House and the, the president's? What is it? Melania Trump. Melania Trump is the greatest asset that for whatever reason is just not being used enough. And I've made so many recommendations and suggestions and maybe there's something I'm missing. But you have a legal immigrant to this country who's literally a supermodel, incredibly articulate, super well-read, speaks six different languages, is super popular with the one demographic you're doing poorly with, suburban women. And why are we not using Melania Trump all the time? Like all the time. Put her on every single magazine. Have her do interviews at Daily Caller and Breitbart. Have her tweet more. Have her do more funny videos. Melania Trump, I've had the opportunity to get to know her. She's awesome. She's one of the coolest people I've ever met in my life. And I feel as if we have this whole idea of promoting Michelle Obama and we don't promote Melania Trump. I mean, it would be one thing if Melania Trump was just not Melania Trump. Okay, let's just put it this way. Let's put it. Let's say let's just put let's just put it this way. Okay, if Melania Trump was overweight, didn't speak any other languages and was just kind of a schlep. Okay, but Melania is one of the most beautiful, incredible people ever. In the history of the United States government, and we as a conservative movement just aren't using her enough. And I've tried, and I'm going to keep on trying. I think Melania Trump is the one of the greatest assets that the Trump campaign needs to use. Every day there should be a Melania Trump update. Every single day should be she should go to a different suburban district across the country, do all the local media, read to local kids, whatever it takes. The more Melania does, the better the Trump movement will do. So, and that kind of goes to these other recommendations. The president needs to insist on in-person and normal format debates and allow for no exceptions, period. He needs to get Joe Biden to commit to debating in person right now. Any controlled format will be used by the networks and the moderators to help Biden. No Zoom calls, no WebEx, no Skype calls, two human beings in a room next to each other that can show the difference physically of Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. Here's the final point of what Donald Trump needs to do. He needs to make America a referendum issue. He does. President Trump needs to make it a referendum on whether or not you believe in America or you don't believe in America. He will lose the popular vote on this issue because a majority of the popular voters do not believe in America. However, 60% of voters in Wisconsin believe in America. 70% of voters in North Carolina believe in America. 80% probably in Iowa. If this is a referendum on America, Donald Trump wins. It's that simple. 
Embrace yourself in the symbology of our country. Drape yourself in the flag. Hug and kiss that flag every single day. In fact, have Melania come and hug and kiss the flag. With the dog next to you, okay? With Hillary next to you. The more that Donald Trump embraces the history of our country, the more his popularity will go up. His Mount Rushmore speech was phenomenal, terrific, off the charts. One of the best speeches a president has given in the last couple decades. The more that President Trump embraces that, the better. And that goes to another suggestion. Donald Trump needs to be traveling more. The more the president travels, the better he does. Donald Trump is that old expression that movement is life. President Trump is not at his best when he is just in the White House every single day. The president needs to be in every single state across the country. I sent a suggestion in that the president needs to do a 50-state tour in 50 days. The president needs to visit all 50 states. He'll be the first president to do it since Richard Nixon. Show every single state what he's done for them with ventilator supply and masks and PPE. It gets him going. It creates a news cycle that is favorable for Donald Trump. It makes the press exhausted and hard to keep up with him. He'll be able to go to military bases and be able to show all the funding that he delivered for them. He'll be able to go to national parks and show the beauty and the majesty of our country. While Joe Biden hides in the basement, Donald Trump does a 50-state tour. That is a great juxtaposition. And he brings Joe Rogan on the plane with him. And while the plane is flying to Alaska, he does a three-hour interview with Rogan on the plane. That would make some news. Meanwhile, Hillary the dog comes in and Donald Trump tells the dog to sit, and she does. Here's the point. We got to get more creative, okay? It's not just about running ads and trying to splinter groups. President Trump became president because he did things he was not supposed to do. He brought Bill Clinton's rape victims to the front of a presidential debate that all but killed the Billy Bush issue. President Trump took a picture with a Cinco de Mayo bowl with a thumbs up on Cinco de Mayo and said, I love Hispanics, and his number with Hispanics went up. President Trump tweeted a week up from the election. That crooked Hillary is going to destroy the voting integrity of our country. The kind of off-the-wall creative thinking that made this country the greatest country ever to exist in the history of the world must be employed by the Trump campaign. The more ideas, the better. And yes, that includes a dog. It includes Melania Trump. It includes putting Joe Biden on defense, and it includes a 50-state tour. Email me your thoughts, freedom at charliekirk.com. I'm pushing for these privately and publicly. And the more that you guys support this podcast at charliekirk.com slash support, when you support this podcast, we're able to get these ideas in front of more people and hopefully get the Trump campaign and the White House to assume some of these ideas. Some of these ideas might be really good. Some of them might be a little off the wall, but that's the whole point of having ideas. You exercise them, you test them, and you're able to see what works for the betterment of the republic. This halftime report I think is the most honest report you are going to get on the state of the 2020 race. But make no mistake, I am not an impartial observer. President Trump must get reelected. President Trump must win. And another issue that I think is a very serious issue, President Trump must get on the right issue of these hospital visitation rights. Right now, I know someone on a ventilator that is struggling significantly health-wise, and I cannot go visit them in the hospital. I've heard of four different examples of people that lost their spouses of 30 plus years that had to say goodbye to their spouse, their loved one, their husband, and their wife over FaceTime because they weren't able to visit their spouse. President Trump should come out and say, every hospital in the country should have a waiver and you should be able to put on a hazmat suit and go see a loved one in your room if you so choose. It is immoral, it is evil, and it is wrong that we have allowed COVID patients or people in hospitals that have non-COVID-related illnesses to be completely quarantined and have no visitation rights whatsoever. It is disgusting and it is awful. President Trump, I think, would be rewarded politically by coming out on the correct side of that issue.
we have to get President Trump reelected. The more we talk about this, these issues, the more that we are able to articulate these issues, the more that we will be rewarded politically. And then we can get President Trump reelected and defeat Joe Biden and his group of cronies, China sycophants, and Joe Biden's very questionable record, both of his touching of young women, his enriching of his family on behalf of the American middle class, and also his radical ideas and the radical group of AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Elon Omar, Angela Davis, and others that just can't wait to take power if Joe Biden wins. Please get involved with Turning Point USA. Go to tpusa.com, tpusa.com. We're on over 2,000 high school and college campuses across the country. Go to tpusa.com, tpusa.com. Email me your questions, freedom at charliekirk.com. Your response to this episode, I'd love your ideas of what you think Donald Trump needs to do or what Joe Biden needs to do so we're able to spot it and judge it fairly and completely. Freedom at charliekirk.com, freedom at charliekirk.com. If you want to win a signed copy of the MAGA Doctrine, type in Charlie Kirk Show to your podcast provider. Hit subscribe. Give us a five-star review. Screenshot it and email us, freedom at charliekirk.com freedom at charliekirk.com. And finally, please again, consider supporting our program at charliekirk.com slash support, charliekirk.com slash support. Thank you guys so much for listening to this program. We got to get President Trump reelected. Send me your thoughts that I can share with him at freedom at charliekirk.com. God bless you. God bless America. We have to win. Biden has to lose. Thanks so much. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.